Today on Talking Films, we explore a thrilling cat-and-mouse game between screen icons Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones, an early 90s action movie which still holds up extremely well today. Going all the way back to 1993, this is The Fugitive. Those scratches on your neck, Doc, uh, did the one-armed guy do that? Helen scratched me when I was trying to move her. Was that before or after you had the fight with the one-armed guy? I told you. Do you own a gun, Doc? Do you own a gun? Yes, we have a gun in the house. Is it registered in your name? Yes. Would you usually keep that gun? It's the one that you own. It's in the office table. That's the table. You keep a large amount of jewelry in the house? Hello. The fingerprints are all over the lamp. The gun and the bullets. And the good doctor skin is under her fingernails. Your wife, she's, she's got the money in the family, doesn't she? Helen comes from a wealthy family. Yes. Is she insured? Yes, she is. Who's the beneficiary? I am. The sole beneficiary? Yes. Financially, you're not going to be hurting after this, then, are you? I mean, she was worth quite a bit of money. Are you suggesting that I killed my wife? Are you saying that I crushed her skull and that I shot her? How dare you? When I came home, there was a man in my house. I fought with this man. He had a mechanical arm. You find this man. You find this man. How tall is he? How tall is he? from me. Oh, Jesus. What did he weigh? God! What color was his hair? What color were his eyes? We can't help you until you help us. Welcome. Welcome back to Talking Films. Today we're going to be talking about The Fugitive, but before we get into that, just a reminder, check us out at talkinggreatestfilms.wordpress.com or on Twitter at Films Talking. Plenty of content coming your way, including the next episode in the Mission Impossible series podcast, Mission Impossible 3 coming soon, as well on the blog, uh, the written series review of the 007 franchise. The first three movies are up, Thunderball, the fourth one is coming your way very, very soon. My name is Ray. Welcome back to Talking Films. The next standalone uh, movie that I'll be doing is The Usual Suspects, one of the great twist endings of all time. Uh, but let's dive right into The Fugitive. This is actually going to be a longer podcast, I think, than I was anticipating. It sounds cliche, but I think The Fugitive gets better every time I see it. Uh, and I actually was very surprised when I saw just how many notes I had uh, in preparation for this podcast. I'm going to try and go as quick as I can, but I apologize in advance if this one's a little lengthier than some of the others, because as I mentioned, there, there is a lot to say about this movie. It's a great movie. Before we get into the movie itself, just a little bit of background. The Fugitive is based on a TV series that ran on ABC in the 60s from 1963 to 67. In total, it aired 120 episodes of 51 minutes each, which starred David Jansen as Dr. Richard Kimball and Barry Morse as Police Lieutenant Philip Gerard. Over the course of its run, it won an Emmy for Outstanding Dramatic Series in 1966 and was nominated for five others. Guest stars on the series featured 
such stars as William Shatner, Ronnie Howard, Martin Balsam, Mickey Rooney, Donald Pleasance, and many more. And then came The Fugitive, released in 1993, starring Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, racked up $176 million at the box office, which is quite significant. I'll jump to that in a moment. It has a 7.8 rating on IMDb, very good performance on Rotten Tomatoes, with 96% critic rating, 89% audience rating. Uh, Rolling Stone's Peter Travers didn't rate it, didn't give it a rating, but he definitely sang its praises in his written review, calling it escapism of a high order. Now, I mentioned that it made uh, $176 million at the box office. That was number two at the box office in 1993. The only movie that made more money than The Fugitive at the box office in 1993 was Jurassic Park, which many of you will know was the biggest movie in history at that point. So not a bad movie to be number two to uh, in 1993. The Fugitive was actually number one at the box office for the first six weeks of its release. I believe it was an August release. The movie no doubt benefited from Harrison Ford's star power. Uh, again, 1993 Harrison Ford. He was basically the action star at the time. Uh, throughout the 80s, uh, you know, many iconic roles and, and great action movies. Uh, he'd taken a little a brief break from action. And when I say brief, I mean about three years. Um, but he was starting to return to action at this point in the early 90s, but uh, featuring more as a reluctant hero. Uh, and again, I'll get into that a little bit more later on. In The Fugitive, he plays a much more sympathetic character who isn't an action hero, but really just an everyman who we find out to be innocent of his crimes. Uh, it's a far cry from his famous roles as Han Solo, Indiana Jones, and Rick Deckard from the 80s. But as I mentioned, we're going to talk a lot more about Harrison Ford as we go through. I should also mention that uh, spoilers will be mentioned throughout the, this episode. So if you haven't seen The Fugitive, please go watch it and then come back and listen to this podcast. The Fugitive was directed by Andrew Davis. The cinematography was done by Michael Chapman. Uh, written by Jeb Stewart and David Tuohy, based on characters by Roy Huggins. The cast, of course, included Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones as the two male leads. Sailor Ward, Joe Pantoliano, Jerowen Crabbe, Daniel Roebuck, L. Scott Caldwell, Andreas Katsoulis, Ron Dean, Joseph Kosala, and Julianne Moore also appear throughout the movie. The Fugitive opens with glimpses of uh, crime and crime scene photographs. Our first look at our hero, Harrison Ford, is He's bearded, he's covered in blood, he's clearly distraught. Uh, there's flashback to a gala dinner, which at the time we don't know it yet, but it introduces us to the main villains of the film. It's really cleverly shot that way. I'll, I'll get into that a little later on. And then we get that interrogation, which you just heard uh, at the start of this podcast. We learn very quickly not to like the two cops, Dean and Kosala, playing detectives Kelly and Rosetti, respectively, who keep grilling him about this one-armed man they clearly don't believe is real. As Kimball breaks down, as you heard, it's a great piece of acting by Harrison Ford. And again, we'll talk more about Ford and his acting later on. Then we get some courtroom scenes interspersed brilliantly with Kimball arriving home on the night of the crime as his wife is brutally murdered. Kimball is loaded onto a bus for prison transfer. And that's when shit hits the fan as other prisoners stage an escape attempt that goes awry. The bus ends up on train tracks. We get that famous scene of the train bearing down on the bus. Kimball manages to escape, and the chase is on once U.S. Marshal Sam Gerard and his team show up on the scene to try and track down the potential escapees, of which Kimball is one of them. As much as the movie is Harrison Ford's action movie, he's, he's the headliner, and for good reason, but Tommy Lee Jones really commands the screen. 
Uh, every scene that Sam Gerard is in, he is the focus and he commands the authority and respect of every single person within the scene. From the moment he gets Sheriff Rawlings' name wrong, calling him Sheriff Rogers, uh, to taking over the investigation, to that famous monologue, which we'll hear in a bit, uh, he is in complete control of everyone and every scene he occupies. He doesn't take shit from anyone, including his own team. Uh, the only difference is that he tolerates it from his team because they're so good at his job. And I feel like that's an underappreciated part of the movie is that as good as Gerard is as his job, his team uh, made up of actors such as Joe Pantoliano, L. Scott Caldwell, Daniel Robach, and more, um, they are extremely efficient and very good at their jobs. And that's what helps propel this movie forward. It's the chemistry of that team, the banter that they have, a lot of which was improvised, by the way. Um, Gerard and his team are, are really the focal point of every scene they're in, but especially Gerard, uh, you know, he, he commands he commands the scenery in every scene that he's in. Whether it's just a one-on-one -on -one scene between him and Dr. Kimball, portrayed by Harrison Ford, or whether it's a, a large ensemble scene or a chase scene, Gerard is is the primary focus becomes the primary focus because of his ability to to steal the scenes. Uh, speaking of being good at their jobs, Gerard doesn't care if Kimball is innocent or guilty. Kimball is an escaped convict, and Gerard's job is to bring him in. That's his focus, and he's going to stop at nothing to do it. As determined as Kimball is to stay free and to find out who killed his wife, and we get into a little bit of uh, Kimball playing detective as the movie goes on. Gerard is just as determined to bring Kimball in. And again, that's kind of his sole focus in the movie. He's not really interested in finding out if he's innocent or guilty. His task is to bring Kimball in, and that's what he's set out to do. The pacing of the movie is, is really well done. There's lots of great hair-raising action set pieces and sequences with just enough time in between to let you catch your breath. And that's kind of when we get the, uh, the, the setup of Kimball kind, kind of making his way back to Chicago Kimball starting to play detective, Kimball figuring out who's behind everything. In between all those all those sequences, there's action sequences, which are all incredible, and they're, they're all completely different, too. There's a train crash and derailment. Uh, there's an ambulance and helicopter chase. There's an underground chase. There's a foot chase through the city. Kimball's never really put in unorthodox situations. Uh, I mentioned that the, the character Ford plays in this is kind of an everyman. He's never put in over-the-top unorthodox situations like uh, like an extended car chase where he all of a sudden becomes this expert driver uh, or a foot chase where he all of a sudden is in an all-out sprint and outrunning everyone, overcoming physical obstacles like jumping over things, jumping through things, going under obstacles. It's all very realistic and grounded as it pertains to uh, Ford's character, Richard Kimball. There's one exception, uh, which is the, the Peter Pan dive off of the dam. Of course, it's a very famous scene at this point, just after the I don't care quote from Gerard, which we'll get to shortly. Um, there are lots of close calls, yes, and lots of times when Kimball just slips out of the grasp of Gerard and his team. Uh, but none of them really feel ridiculous or forced, other than, like I mentioned, maybe just that Peter Pan dive off the dam. There's a great misdirect when we think they're going in to get Kimball, but it's actually Copeland, who's one of the other convicts who escaped from the bus. Uh, it's really cleverly written and shot. This isn't a movie that relies on misdirection. It doesn't have a lot of it. And I think it's because the movie doesn't need it. But with that being said, it's it's really cleverly done. It's well written. Um, 
you know, we get that scene of Ford being picked up in a car and then we cut to Gerard and his team saying, uh, yeah, she picked him up just after work. He's at her house right now. We don't get any additional setup to that before the, the stakeout and the, the breaking into the house. That's the point in which we realize it's, it's Copeland and not Kimball. There's another second minor misdirect when Kimball's landlords gets busted. Uh, he's back in Chicago. He's holed up in the, the basement apartment of this house. And we see the cops breaking into that house uh, as Kimball is in it. But turns out they're just after his landlord. It's another close call. It's another clever misdirect just to raise the stakes and raise the tension a little bit. But again, this isn't a movie that uh, really relies heavily on misdirection uh, as other fugitive style movies can can fall into that trap. Uh, again, this is just something to, to kind of get our heart pumping and, and get our breath going again. Uh, get us on the edge of our seat just for a second before bringing us back into the the detective cat and mouse cat and mouse chase uh, between Gerard and Kimball and Kimball and figuring out who it is that's behind the murder of his wife. Uh, that's something that's really good too. Is that we and I, I think I mentioned this later on, but um, we don't actually find out until halfway through the movie that Kimball is one hundred percent innocent. It's something we suspect and something we want to believe because. Of course, it's Harrison Ford, and he's got to be innocent. But we don't get visual proof as an audience that there was a one-armed man. We don't get that confirmation that it's not Kimball until about halfway through the movie. And at that point, when the mystery begins to reveal itself, and when Kimball zeroes in on Sykes, who's the one-armed man, we get some subtle callbacks to things like Lentz, who we meet in that opening sequence in the gala dinner. Uh, other less good and less well-written movies might have had more of Lentz at the beginning. They might have leaned more heavily into that at the start to make you think, okay, this guy obviously has some importance. Uh, and then called back to him throughout the movie just to kind of emphasize the importance of that character sprinkled throughout the movie. But here in The Fugitive, it's just a really brief, quick intro at the beginning that's almost a throwaway. And then it just leaves us to be with Kimball on the escape and the chase uh, until the mystery is being resolved. And the same goes for Devlin McGregor, who, of course, is the uh, the pharmaceutical company that turns out to be uh, flawed and corrupt and behind everything. Um, you know, it would have been easy for, for a, a less good movie to lean more on people like Lentz and people like Nichols and the company of Devlin McGregor as the movie goes on because... Um, it would have been an easy trap to fall into just to keep bring, keep the uh, bring the audience back to that to to you know show you how important it is. But the subtle call, the subtle throwaway at the start, and then calling it back as the mystery is being resolved, I think is a is a much more effective way of it because upon rewatches, it really nails home the importance, and uh, even if it doesn't seem important right off the bat. So diving into the segments, starting with best scenes and shots, uh, that famous escape from the bus with the train crash, the whole sequence is really well shot. Um, director Andrew Davis, uh, on the DVD, there's a special feature where they walk through the, the train crash scene and the derailment. Uh, they only had one shot at getting the, the train plowing into the bus. Um, it's a really well shot scene. It's, it's a high stakes, high octane, thrilling scene. Um, definitely gets your blood pumping right at the start of the film. Uh, you know, from, from the start of the escape from the other convicts on the bus, 
Uh, again, Kimball isn't involved in this right off the bat. He just happens to escape as a byproduct. He's not involved in the in the plotting and the executing of the escape. Um, but that whole sequence is really well done. It provides some really great visuals. There is some CGI that um, isn't overly obvious, given the fact that it's 1993. Again, by today's standards, you know you might be able to spot the CGI relatively easy, but. I think in large part, the, the very little use of CGI throughout this film um, really holds up well. Uh, and, and the train crash is probably the most obvious example of that. And then we get some sub subsequent aerial shots of the crash, both at nighttime and at day uh, in daylight, which are, are pretty effective and pretty spectacular visual aerials. Any sequence uh, or any scene which features the banter, which I already mentioned between Gerard and his team uh, from the U.S. Marshals Department, it's a great infusing of humor into the movie, but it also shows uh, that tight-knit chemistry that this group has. We're not given a ton of backstory into Gerard or his team. We're just kind of thrust into action with them. And I, I think that's another trap that other movies could have fallen into, uh, other less good movies could fall into, is kind of diving more into the the backstory and how this team has so much chemistry. The Fugitive doesn't do that. It just kind of inserts us in, like I mentioned, uh, and we get to experience all this banter firsthand without any, any backdrop to it. I think it doesn't need to have backdrop. I think if we just get right off the bat, uh, which we get in that opening introductory scene with them, that this is a tight-knit group who work really well together, uh, it allows it the flow of the movie to, to go easier and, and faster, uh, and it's much more effective that way. Also, this banter allows us to breathe between action sequences. We get a lot of the, the back and forths between these uh, this team, um, which gives us that kind of downtime between the big action sequences. Uh, the last best scene or best shots, uh, the St. Patrick's Day chase in Chicago is really great. From Gerard and his men arriving at the prison to Gerard recognizing Kimball as they're passing each other across the hallway. The subsequent chase out of that building and then into the St. Patrick's Day parade in downtown Chicago is really well shot as well. Especially when you take into consideration, and again, I'm, I'm kind of breaking the fourth wall here and talking about the behind the scenes aspect of it. But given the fact that they actually shot it during the real parade, they didn't stage that parade. They just shot it in Chicago during a real St. Patrick's Day parade. Uh, when when you take that into consideration, it ups the level of how well shot this movie is by a good margin. It's well shot to begin with, but the fact that they didn't stage it, they just inserted themselves into a real life parade is really, really well done. Moving into best quotes, uh, the find that man, which you heard, uh, in the opening uh, of the podcast episode, it's the opening interrogation of Detectives Kelly and Rossetti of Richard Kimball. Uh, you know, the find that man is kind of the only real iconic line that Harrison Ford has, which we'll dive into again in a little bit. Uh, the introduction to Sam Gerard and his team and the subsequent exchange with the sheriff and the guard who was on the bus. Uh, then the famous monologue that Gerard has. I'm not even going to attempt. I know in the past, in, in previous episodes of the Talking Films pod, I've attempted to recreate famous quotes myself. This is a case where I'm not going to do that because it's just so long and so good. So I'm going to let you listen to that introductory uh, 
sequence and banter between Gerard, the sheriff, and the guard, and then the that famous uh, monologue by Sam Gerard. So here we go. Here's Tommy Lee Jones. Excuse me, Sheriff. I'm Deputy United States Marshal Samuel Gerard. I'd like to talk uh, to you. I'll be with you in just a minute. Okay. One more time, just for the record. Uh, these three are dead. Yeah. And uh, this one. Well, everything happened so fast. I... No, I don't think you made it. Well, looks like you came a long way for nothing. Uh, with all due respect, uh, Sheriff Rollins, I'd like to recommend checkpoints on a 15-mile radius at I-57, I-24, and over here whoa, on whoa, Route whoa, 13. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Uh, the prisoners are all dead, and the only thing checkpoints are going to do is get a lot of good people frantic around here and flood my office with calls. Well, shit, Sheriff. I'd hate to see that happen, so I guess I'll take over your investigation. <laughs> on what authority? Governor of the state of Illinois, United States Marshal's Office, 5th District, Northern Illinois. All right, fine. Uh, you want jurisdiction over this mess? You got it. Okay, boys, gather around here and listen up. Uh, we're shutting it down. Wyatt Earp's here to mop up. Sheriff, before you go, we're going to need Sam. Oh, wow, gee whiz, look here. You know, we're always fascinated when we find leg irons with no legs in them. Who held the keys, sir? Me. Where are those keys at? I don't know. Care to revise your statement, sir? What? Do you want to change your bullshit story, sir? He might have got out. He might have got out. What the hell is this? A minute ago, you're telling me he's part of the wreckage, and now he might have got out? Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. Our fugitive has been on the run for 90 minutes. Average foot speed over uneven ground, barring injury, is four miles an hour. That gives us a radius of six miles. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search. Of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. Checkpoints go up to 15 miles. Your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. Go get him. Again, that's a great series of lines, mostly from Tommy Lee Jones' character, Sam Gerard. Uh, Great introduction to the character, one of the best lines of the of the movie by far. Uh, we also get later on the first encounter between Gerard and Kimball when Kimball is, is has picked up Gerard's gun in the tunnel. He says, I didn't kill my wife. And Gerard replies with, I don't care. And we get a great callback to that at the very end of the movie, the final lines of the movie. Uh, after Gerard has removed Kimball's handcuffs, we know that Gerard believes Kimball to be innocent. Kimball says, I thought you didn't care. And Gerard replies, I don't. Don't tell anyone, though, all right? Shows that Gerard has his reputation to uphold. Um, a lot of the lines in this movie, this isn't a movie that relies on great lines and dialogue. It's Again, it's an action movie. It's a very visual movie. Uh, Gerard has pretty much all the best lines in the movie, though. Uh, you know, when someone says, Sam, are you kidding? He's dead. And Gerard replies, well, that'll make him easy to catch. When he says to Newman, I don't bargain. When he says, well, sir, you can blame me. I mean, I'm the one that shot him. When he hangs up in his superior officer, I mean, he commands so much respect and authority, as I mentioned, even from those who outrank him. And that, well, blame me. I'm the one that shot him. And then hangs up uh, is, a, is a great use of, of dialogue to, to let us into the character's mind a little bit. Why does the movie work? Well, I've mentioned Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones a lot. 
for good reason. They are awesome. They're the shining parts of the movie. Uh, without a doubt, two of their the better roles in in their filmographies. Um, but the action is great. The story is really good. It's really well written. Um, just from a story perspective, uh, a lot of the dialogue was improvised, but just how the story unfolds is really well written. Uh, it's full of great close call moments that, as I mentioned, doesn't really cross the line into ridiculousness or unorthodox where uh, it's, you know, un unbelievable that this doctor would be able to do all of this stuff. Like, uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, driving a car at top speed through a car chase or, uh, you know, showing his peak physical condition all of a sudden or anything like that. Um, we know that Ford is going to get away with it uh, or get away, sorry, uh, and prove his innocence because he's Harrison Ford. Uh, but we also find ourselves rooting for Tommy Lee Jones. And this case of two good guys fronting a movie is unique in some ways. And uh, it can go really wrong and has gone really wrong in other movie examples. Uh, but it really works here. We don't find out who the true villain is until pretty late in the movie. But that's okay because the movie doesn't need a villain until that point. Uh, because it is all about Gerard chasing Kimball. Uh, and then that kind of, it's almost a subplot uh, later on where Kimball uh, proves his innocence. It's obviously not the subplot of the movie, but it, it almost becomes that because we're, we're so enthralled by Gerard uh, and his, you know, obsessive chase to find Kimball and, and bring him in. Um, and the true villain is played off so well because even though it, it even though Nichols, who again is ends up being the true villain of the movie, uh, he might seem sketchy and suspect, partly because of who he is. And again, Jerome Crabbe, who plays Nichols, uh, he was a Bond villain in The Living Daylights. So with that on his resume, uh, you know, automatically we might think, okay, well maybe this guy's bad, uh, but we don't know it until Kimball uncovers it. Uh, you know, he helps Kimball. He lies about. Kimball to, to help him to Gerard and his team. Uh, but we unravel the mystery as Kimball does, which is a sign of great writing. Nothing is given away right off the bat. Uh, nothing is, is uh, obvious that it's these guys who are the villains until Kimball himself finds the evidence and, and uncovers the, the mystery, unravels the mystery, uh, which again is a sign of great writing. We also don't really... We aren't let into what Gerard really thinks, even as he begins to realize Kimball is going to extreme lengths while on the run. It's a it's a far extreme lengths. Uh, as he be as he begins to work the mystery out, we know he knows what Kimball is up to, and that he has to believe a little bit of what Kimball is uncovering. But we also know because his one goal is to bring Kimball in because that's his job. And we don't really uh, until that final climactic showdown scene when Gerard explicitly lays out the events of the night of the murder and its subsequent plot, we don't know what Gerard is thinking. We don't know really whose side he's on. We don't know if he's on Kimball's side. We don't know if he's, you know, primarily just going to bring Kimball in. Um, it's, again, it's a great way of leaving it until the last minute to really explicitly show the audience where he's at, where his mindset is at. Uh, we can presume Harrison Ford's innocence. That's a fun play of words because... Uh, one of the previous movies which Ford starred in was called Presumed Innocent. Uh, but because because he's Harrison Ford, as I mentioned, we, we can presume his innocence. But again, as I mentioned, it's not until an hour into the runtime that we first actually get to see the one-armed man. It's hinted at and guessed at through the flashback clips, 
but we never physically see the one-armed man until after he begins to investigate it himself. So again, it's just a clever use of writing. And, uh, you know, while you want to believe that Kimball is innocent, you want to believe that Harrison Ford is innocent, you don't get that confirmation until halfway through. And I've already mentioned it before, but the banter that Gerard and his team have is really great. Clearly a tight team who plays off each other while also supporting each other. Uh, Gerard is fairly unpredictable as a character, as a man. So his team would clearly have to be on their toes as all at all times. But again, it just shows how efficient they are at their jobs if, if they've clearly been working together for a long time. Why the movie doesn't work, there's not a lot of reasons, really. Um, you know, this question of, why did you run? Running only makes you look guilty, which is what uh, you know Kimball's lawyer poses to him on the phone call. It's a valid question. So why did he run? Wouldn't it just have been easy to turn himself in? The answer is, yeah, in theory, but in reality, he's already been convicted of his crime. He, he doesn't have a second chance of proving his innocence. This, this opportunity to escape the, 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 the prison system and escape the, the, the justice system is his second chance. He needs to find out who's responsible for the crime so he can clear his name. He's not going to get a second shot since he's been convicted. But again, this, this failed, uh, well, I guess it's not really a failed escape as Copeland gets away. Um, but this escape attempt by the other convicts provides an opportunity for Kimball to get away. It provides him this second chance to prove his innocence. Um, one of the other questions that pops up a lot, I think, is, well, okay, so he shaved his beard. Does that really make him super unrecognizable? Uh, wouldn't it obviously still be Kimball? Uh, normally, maybe, yeah, but it depends on the person. I remember a few years ago, my dad shaved his beard and he looked a lot more like my uncle than he did himself until he grew the beard back. So it, maybe it just depends on the person about, you know, shaving a beard, really making you look that much different. The only real nitpick I have with the movie, uh, would be the Peter Pan dive off the dam. I mean, he's, he's got a, you know, a pretty low shot at uh at surviving that but you know as han solo says another famous harrison ford character never tell me the odds so with that in mind you know that's the only real nitpick i have of the movie uh the only real nitpick that i think a lot of people would have about the movie would be the peter pan dive off the dam and the and the why did he run next segment is called cotton eye joe we look at some major actors from the movie some major players and look at where this fits into their filmography. So to use the Cotton Eye Joe lyrics, where did they come from? Where did they go? Uh, in the case of Harrison Ford, The Fugitive came directly in between Jack Ryan movies. Uh, of course, he took over the Jack Ryan role from Alec Baldwin for Patriot Games, which came out in 1992. Then The Fugitive came out in 1993. And then the other Jack Ryan movie, which he starred in, Clear and Present Danger, in 1994. Uh, in both of those movies, he plays a reluctant hero as well, but those are naturally going to be more action-oriented because he's a CIA operative. Because of that, you obviously get the feeling that at some point he's going to encounter some heavy action set pieces, as he does in both Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger. Uh, in those, he plays a much more uh, action-y guy as well. There's a lot more uh, you know, fist fights and a lot more gunfights and a lot more large-scale action set pieces in which Ford's character uh, features heavily. Quite unlike, unlike The Fugitive, but similar in a similar vein. 
The other actor we'll look at is Tommy Lee Jones. Of course, he was coming off a, a pretty good three-year run up to The Fugitive, uh, in which in 1991, he received an Oscar nomination for JFK. Uh, following that, in 1992, he starred in another Andrew Davis-directed movie, Under Siege, in which he played a terrorist opposite Steven Seagal, uh, just a, a heavy action blockbuster. And then in 1993, he starred in House of Cards. No, not the Netflix TV show, but a drama which came out in 1993. Following The Fugitive, he went on to star in Heaven and Earth, which was an Oliver Stone Vietnam drama, and Blown Away, in which he portrayed another villain opposite Jeff Bridges. Uh, so when he put it all together, a pretty healthy mix of villains and good guys for Tommy Lee Jones in this stretch. A lot of people would argue for the first two-thirds of The Fugitive, that Tommy Lee Jones plays the villain. I would argue that in saying he's not a villain, he's just someone who's trying to do his job. As we know, he ends up being one of the good guys. Uh, I would say he's a good guy throughout much of the movie, even if he is chasing uh, Harrison Ford, who I think is the undisputed hero of the movie. The next segment is called Runway, in which we look at an actor whose career was just about to take off, so their career was on the runway, whether or not this was the movie that launched it, uh, or whether it came right after. This isn't really a runaway movie for anyone in a major role. Everyone was pretty more or less established at this point um, or kind of wouldn't achieve any larger roles after this. You can maybe make the argument for Joe Pantoliano. Uh, but I think the, the the best option here would be Julianne Moore, who really is, it's a cameo role in this movie. Um, originally, she was supposed to be in a, a much larger role within the movie, which is why she receives such high billing. I think she's third billing in the movie. Um, but a lot of her role ended up on the cutting room floor for pacing and and uh, really story purposes. Uh, she appears as one of the doctor, one of the emergency room doctors in, in the hospital in Chicago. Um, it's It really is, as I mentioned, a cameo, a bit role for her. Uh, before this, she had, her, her filmography wasn't expansive. She had been in Body of Evidence, uh, which was a neurotic thriller with Madonna and Willem Dafoe in the late 80s, I believe, maybe early 90s. Uh, and then Benny and June. Then came The Fugitive. She wouldn't really hit it big until 1997 when she appeared in The Lost World Jurassic Park. Of course, the sequel to the number one movie of all time at that point. Uh, she wouldn't really hit it big until that. But I think at, at the point in time when she appeared in The Fugitive, I think she it's safe to say she was on the runway. Her career was about to take off. This isn't the movie that did it for her, uh, but she was well on her way with, um, with The Fugitive. The next segment, was this a top three movie for the director, for Andrew Davis? Personally, I've only seen The Fugitive and Holes. Uh, of course, the Shia LaBeouf vehicle, which came out in uh, uh, sometime within the 2000s based on the best-selling uh, youth fiction novel. Uh, so of those two films, uh, it's safe to say that this is the best one. I think this would be tough to top for any director. Uh, Davis's direction definitely helped this movie become as successful and as great, uh, as it is. Um, so without a doubt, I think this is the number one movie in his filmography that I've seen. Uh, but again, I think it's tough to top. Next segment, Hot Take Corner. So this is the part where I say something potentially controversial that people might disagree with. Uh, my hot take for The Fugitive, this is the best Harrison Ford acting role. 
It's not his most iconic role. It's not his most well-known role. Those would hands down go to Han Solo and Indiana Jones with a special shout-out to Rick Deckard from Blade Runner. Uh, And as they should be. Those are much more iconic characters, uh, particularly thinking about Han and Indy. You know, if you think of the well-known Harrison Ford characters, and you can definitely fit Han Solo and Indiana Jones into these categories, they're aggressive, they're smooth, they're suave, they're quick-witted, they're clever. They have good one-liners. They're just downright cool guys. Like you grew, you grew up as a young man wanting to be Han Solo. You wanted to be Indiana Jones. You don't necessarily grow up wanting to be his character in The Fugitive because he's he's really just a doctor on the run. And I know that he gets a lot of positive buzz about around Blade Runner uh, and around Witness, for which he received his Oscar nomination, and rightfully so. He's he's great in Witness, but I think. In The Fugitive, it's a much less Harrison Ford type of role. It's a much more sympathetic and non-heroic role. And even though I've mentioned that he is the hero of the movie, he doesn't do a lot of heroic things, and his character itself is not a heroic character. In Witness, he is a cop, so naturally we presume him to be some kind of action hero. We know that at some point he's going to have a big action set piece. Here he's a doctor. He's a decidedly non-action position. And he just continues to want to do the right thing. He doesn't have a lot of big action set pieces. When I talk about him doing the right thing, think about him saving the guard in the opening escape sequence. Uh, he saves the guard's life at his own risk. You know, he tells he then goes on to in a in a pretty clever, cleverly written scene, he tells the medics at the hospital when the guard shows up about the puncture wound in the chest, because obviously you're not going to know about it until they get him into the ER, and that's what he's most at risk for. You know, he helps the kid at Cook County Hospital when he's posing as a custodian, changing the diagnosis and sending him down to uh, emergency surgery right away, which ends up saving the kid's life. He doesn't do a lot of action hero things. He jumps off the dam, and then he has the, the fist fights at the end with Sykes and when he beats up Nichols. Other than that, he's just a guy on the run, it's Gerard who does a lot of the actiony stuff throughout of the movie. Ford plays a little bit of detective, but he doesn't do a lot other than run and just try and get away. So in The Fugitive, again, it's a much more restrained role, which has a lot of his best acting. He doesn't have a lot of dialogue, so we don't get a lot of the one-liners and the trademark Fordisms. You know, it's it's pretty restrained and minimal in nature. Really, the only Fordism that we get is that trademark Harrison Ford point when he says, find that man at the start of the movie. Um, but other than that, you know, it's it's a lot more than just beating people up and driving cars or spaceships and shooting things. Um, it's, it's much more uh, acting-oriented for Ford, even though it is an action role. Uh, I think it's the peak performance. I think it's his best acting. Again, not, not saying that it is his best role. Uh, it's just his best acting. Um, and I, I would put this over the wit, over witness, uh, in terms of his best role. But again, that's not saying that witness isn't a great piece of acting from 40, 100% deserved his Oscar nomination there. Uh, I just think it, that the fugitive deserves a little more respect and a little more recognition when it comes to Ford's acting. Um, and especially lately, you know, he's kind of made this return to the gruff actiony hero roles, especially when you consider that he's, he's gone back to Han Solo and Indiana Jones and even Rick Deckard 
and I think that his his bit part in Blade Runner twenty forty nine is probably the best acting that he's done in recent years. But I think if you look over his whole career and his entire filmography, nothing can top The Fugitive. So some fun trivia about The Fugitive, kind of behind the scenes making of. Uh, I mentioned they, they filmed the St. Patrick's Day chase during an actual St. Patrick's Day parade in Chicago. And if you look during that sequence, you can see people looking at the camera. You can see people blatantly looking into the camera because uh, they didn't hire extras. They just used the people from the parade and, and didn't really tell them what was going on. You can see them looking at Harrison Ford as he goes past them. You can almost see the wheels turning in their head going, that looks a lot like Harrison Ford. And ditto when uh, Tommy Lee Jones starts making his way through the crowd. You can see people going, that guy's Tommy Lee Jones, I'm pretty sure. So you can see them following the actors. You can see them looking into the camera. Uh, I mentioned a lot of the dialogue was improvised specifically between Gerard and his team. Uh, there were some people who were considered for the role of Richard Kimball before they landed on Harrison Ford. Those included Alec Baldwin, Christopher Reeve, Mel Gibson, Richard Gere, Michael Keaton, Michael Douglas, and more. Uh, before they landed on Tommy Lee Jones for the role of Gerard, John Voight and Gene Hackman were among those considered. Um, I mentioned Julianne Moore was originally supposed to have a larger role, including, I could have this wrong, but I believe she was going to become a love interest for Kimball. Uh, but those were edited out for pacing reasons and, and for story reasons. I think Davis realized that it didn't make sense to the point of the movie to have Ford fall for someone else, uh, as he's, you know, basically avenging the murder of his wife. Uh, this is the second movie in, in Harrison Ford's filmography after Frantic, the, the, uh, Hitchcockian Roman Polanski movie in which Harrison Ford plays a doctor who investigates something happening to his wife. A lot of people would fit that into the same category as The Fugitive, and you could make the argument that, uh, you know, against my hot take corner for this episode, that, well, Frantic just fits the same bill. Uh, and you would be right to some extent, but uh, again, in, in Frantic, it's there's a lot less action within that movie. Frantic is not an action movie. It's much more of a detective movie. I don't think it's as good as Fugitive. I don't think Ford's action is as good as the Fugitive, it's a much more kind of visual, rhythmic movie, uh, which relies on the cinematography. And it's a much more fun movie as well. Frantic is a movie which doesn't take itself super seriously. Uh, also, you may have heard this at this point. Uh, there was a trailer released just last week, actually, uh, for the upcoming update series called The Fugitive Coming to Queeby, starring Boyd, Hol Boyd Holbrook as Mike Farrow, who becomes the Kimball-type character, and Kiefer Sutherland as Detective Clay Bryce, who is the Gerard-type of character. This series will take place in L.A. It's coming on Quibi, start coming out later this year, I believe. Uh, so if you're a fan of The Fugitive, as I am, uh, you, know, you can definitely keep your eyes glued to when The Fugitive will be released on the streaming service. Awards that uh, The Fugitive won... Tommy Lee Jones won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, I think it's it's safe to say that he deserved this. He was in a pretty stacked category, too. The other nominees were John Malkovich for In the Line of Fire, Leonardo DiCaprio for What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Pete Postlethwaite for In the Name of the Father, and Ray Fiennes for Schindler's List. In any other year, 
all of all four of those nominees could have been slam dunk winners, but it's tough to top Tommy Lee Jones in the fugitive when he in this category. That being said, I wouldn't have argued too strongly if any one of those other roles could have would have won. The exception maybe maybe being Malkovich because it's kind of a campier, fun role. Uh, but Tommy Lee Jones definitely deserved his Oscar win for this movie. Uh, the Fugitive was also nominated for six other Academy Awards: Best Picture, Cinematography, Sound, Sound Effects, Film Editing. And James Newton Howard's score was nominated for original score. The score is something that, again, I, I keep mentioning the scores throughout these podcast episodes. But, uh, you know, it's a great score. It's a very 90s score. But again, it fits the theme of the movie. But back to, again, the, the not to digress, but the, the best or the Academy Award nominees. It didn't win any other Academy Awards, but all six of its nominations were in categories where either Schindler's List or Jurassic Park won. So not much argument to be had there. Schindler's List was best picture, best cinematography, film editing, and score. Jurassic Park won sound effects and sound. Tough to dispute those two against any other movies, especially The Fugitive, as good as it is. So in conclusion, The Fugitive, it's a, it's a fantastic movie with fantastic leading performances and some great action sequences with low CGI, which we don't often get these days. And it's blended, with, as I've mentioned, with the great mystery and unveiling of the plot. Um, we don't often get that in, you know, cat and mouse action thrillers these days. Uh, these days, there's, you know, they're heavier on the action and heavier on the CGI, and less about the unraveling of the mystery, as I as I've pointed out. So that concludes our talk about the fugitive. Thanks again for listening. Again, stay tuned for the usual suspects coming up soon. Mission Impossible 3, continuing the Mission Impossible series of podcasts, and Thunderball, which I've just recently watched, coming your way to continue the 007 written series. Stay tuned for all of that. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe out there, everyone.